0: And I wanted to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about overcoming faith when you are overcome. I want to talk about that. Overcoming faith when you are overcome. Um, And I thank God that there are times we have been overcome, but faith is not. And I thank the Lord that faith is not something that really originates with me. It's really a gift from God. And the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. So I'm very thankful that in the times of my life when I have been overcome or I've been overwhelmed or I've been depressed or I've been bitter or I've been angry or I just couldn't go on anymore or I didn't want to go on anymore, something supernatural transpired in my life. And I would call that God giving me faith and God strengthening my faith to help me to not climb out of this pit that I was in, but to have victory in the midst of it and to come forward from it with a testimony for Jesus. And so I want to bring that to you tonight. I pray that it will encourage you and help you in your life and in your walk with God. And to jump into Psalm 78, I wanted to just remind you quickly about a message that I preached to you last Wednesday And if you will remember, we went to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, where we saw that there were people who experienced great miracles of God. We saw where people were able to turn armies away because of their relationship with God. There were those that were able to quench the violence of the sword and fire and lion's dens and women had their dead raised back to life again. And we love those stories. We love to just ooh and awe ah about how these men and women walked so powerfully with God in their faith. And we know it was through faith that these exploits were accomplished. But in the same manner, Hebrews goes on to describe others who did not escape death. They actually died. And they were tortured, and they suffered, and they lost their lives. And some people... Hebrews 11 describes as being those who were cast out and living in exile, and they were wandering around in dens and caves of the earth because they were unwanted and they were persecuted and they had no safe dwelling place. And if it weren't for the scriptures, we would probably conclude that these were people who were not of faith. These were people who didn't believe God. These were the people who doubted. The people who believed God raised the dead. They escape death and the people who don't believe God are the ones that get caught and they die and they suffer. But I thank God that the Holy Spirit did not allow us or give us the ability to come to that conclusion and that the Holy Spirit would say even about those who wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins living in the caves of the earth. They were tortured and persecuted and died by the sword that the Holy Spirit says the world was not worthy of them. And they likewise lived by faith, desiring a better resurrection. And they sealed their testimony with their suffering. And I thank the Lord for that. I just want to remind you of that message last Wednesday night. Because sometimes it's hard for us to remember one from the next. In Psalm 78, I wanted to begin in verse 1. Because it gives us this introduction to an incredible psalm. It's very powerful. And it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which you have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. I love that. Whenever you're seeing praises in the Bible, it's something you show. And I want us to be that kind of people, showing the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born. Who should arise and declare them to their children. So this was to go on from generation to generation. For this purpose. That they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. How many of you want to have a right heart and a steadfast spirit with God? It seems today in our culture that if you can get a Christian to have a steadfast heart for a week, are for a revival meeting, then man, we just are like relieved. Say, oh, thank God, what a great meeting. But the desire of the Holy Spirit is to have believers who have steadfast hearts forever. Day after day after day. Just walking with God. And so he says this in verse 9. Which is going to be one of our focuses. The children of Ephraim... Which many of the commentators are saying this represents the ten tribes of Israel. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. And for the sake of time, I would ask you to skim through some of these following verses about the marvelous works of God and his powerful deeds. And I would say and suggest to all of us here today that we have even a greater collection of God's works and deeds that we have to look back on than Ephraim did at the time of this writing. And so to me, that places more responsibility on my life to be able to remember God and to remember that if I'm armed and carrying bows and ready for battle, that I should not retreat, but I should advance and go forward. But they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them all these wonderful things that God did. And in verse forty one. It says, yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Can I say this to you this tonight? And we know this in the New Testament. That the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be quenched. And he can be resisted. And though he is the ultimate power. The only power. And he can do anything that he wants to do. Because of his chosen desire to have a relationship with believers. When those believers are not believing. They can hinder the holy God. And in this passage of scripture we find factually. That there were things God wanted to do. But he was not able to do it. Because Ephraim limited the Holy One. Now, wouldn't it be sad for us to meet Jesus and for Jesus to tell us how greatly we limited him? For Jesus to share with us all of the things that he wanted to do through our life, only to find out when we met him or meet him that there were so many things we did not allow him to do. I don't want that to be the testimony of my life. And I think, you know, as a pastor, that that is certainly something that I'm not content with for you, that I constantly try to stretch you and press you and push you in your faith to to do everything and be everything God would want you to be. And it says they limited the Holy One of Israel. And it just kind of comes to this point. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. And so limitation, and I just want you to see this, if I could tie it back to the first part of this chapter, that they were armed and carrying bows, but they turned back in the day of battle. They didn't keep the covenant of God. They didn't remember God. They didn't do these things that God wanted them to do. And so when we look at this and even look in this passage here in the latter part of it in in verse 42, they remembered not his hand. They didn't deliver. They didn't remember how he delivered them from the enemy and how he wrought these signs and wonders. That's typically what happens to us. It's typical that when we can look back on a life of many deliverances in our life only to face the next set of problems, only to face the next setback, the next obstacle, the next season of darkness, that we tend to forget God. We tend to forget what he's done. We tend to forget his miracles and his marvelous acts to become present day unbelievers, limiting him from the mighty things that he's going to want to do in our life. I mean, for example, why does it even say Ephraim is carrying bows Because they are purposed by God to enter into this battle with God. This is not a good day. This is a day of battle. And Ephraim is equipped to fight it. But instead of going into the battle to fight it, they retreat. And they don't go with God to fight. So it's not a day of peace. It's a day of battle. And in the day of battle, we forget God. And we forget his miracles. And that is what is happening here in Psalm 42. And I just think it's interesting to note that. If you would go on and read the rest of this chapter, which I fear for the United States of America, what may have to happen to this country and to the people of it to turn us to God, to turn our hearts to God, you can read it yourself. Not only what God is capable of doing, but God will do in order to turn His people back to Him. It's pretty severe. I would would encourage you to read it prayerfully. That we would have steadfast hearts towards God. That God would not have to keep turning us back towards him. But our faces would constantly be towards the Lord. And that we would walk with God in that manner. And so I say that to you that the reason is not in the weapons. The, The reason that Ephraim turned back in the day of battle was not because they were unarmed. It had nothing to do with the equipping. It had to do everything with the men. The men forgot God. The men forgot the miracles. They forgot the covenant. They forgot the way of God. And so when the new day of battle came, they were fearful. They were in their hearts, cowardly, and they turned back because they were not believing. And so that was the problem. And I say that today. The problem in our world today is not what the world is doing. And the problem with the world today, it is not because the church of Jesus Christ is unequipped. The the problem is not that the church is unarmed. The problem is, is the church is well armed and well equipped, but we retreat in the day of battle. We need to advance and we need to go forward. And I just say that in 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 the day when you are overcome if you want to have faith that overcomes go forward don't sit there don't sit there and whine and complain and get in self pity and poor me and no go forward in faith and I hope you'll see this more as we progress in this but I want you to turn with me now, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. And while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, I just wanted to speak something to you. And it is this. Until you come to the battle, until you leave your safe place and come to the battle. And for many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because there's a requirement of God for your life. You young people know exactly what I'm talking about. Every one of us in this room, that's a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. There's a requirement of God upon your life. And we resist that. We don't want to surrender to that. Like our brother said, you got to let go. And we resist that and we fight that because we don't feel like we're equipped. We don't feel like we have what it takes. I don't know that I can win this battle. I don't know that I can do this ministry. I don't know that I will be successful. What if I fail and everybody laughs at me? You will never. You're going to live your whole life like that and go to heaven like that. How pitiful is that? You'll never know how well equipped you are for the battle until you get out of your comfort zone and go to the battle and watch what God does through your life. Just watch what he does. Even in failure, he does remarkable things. Most of my life is nothing but failure. And God picking up the pieces and and, and doing some, some incredible things that, oh God, I just totally broke that. Look what you put back together. Amazing. God gets all the glory. And he covers me from all the shame and we just keep going on. It's amazing what God does. So until you come to the battle that God has called you to, you will never know how well equipped you really are. As long as you stay where you are, you will never know. You will have no experience any more than what is and what has been. But when you come, when you get up and you walk forward and you move with God, then you will see what God has made you. You will see what God has made you. A lot of times we read stories and we hear testimonies of people who suffered and were martyred. People who went through trying circumstances and great anguish and great, great pain. How they may, may have battled um, diseases and sicknesses and did that with great faith. And we look at them and we wonder, you know, what great faith. And yes, it is great faith. But it was given in that moment they, they they may have been the kinds of people who months before admired others who suffered and wondered, how could I ever be that kind of person? How could I ever suffer so graciously? How could I ever pass through a trial like so-and-so is passing through a trial with such joy and such grace? If that were me, I would fall apart. Yeah, if it were you, but it's the grace of God and the faith that comes that holds you together and supernaturally empowers you to do things you would never be able to do. Don't fall down in front of the enemy, but stand your ground in faith and see what God has made you and see what God will do through your life. Now, come to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And it says this, and I'm just reading portions of this for the sake of time. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Number one, God loves us as a father. He loves us better than any earthly father we've ever known or imagined. He is a father to us. Isn't that wonderful? He's a father to us. And I am his child. That means something when I'm facing battles. That means something when I'm suffering. That means something when I'm hurting. When I was growing up as a child and I was sick or I was hurting or I was suffering or I was going through a problem, I wanted my father there. My father could solve it. My father could console me. My father could strengthen me. And now that I've grown up, I want my father there. My heavenly father who cares about me and can protect me. You've got to have that relationship with him if you're going to have overcoming faith. You've got to believe this about God. That he's your father and you're his child. And so the Bible says that we are adopted of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. This was something he wanted to do. It made him happy to do it. It is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, that beloved is Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. According to the riches of his grace. Now, now wait, it doesn't stop there. It, it says even those riches of his grace, that is how he has abounded to us. In all wisdom and prudence. This grace of God. This riches of God's grace. Has opened the vaults of heaven to our life. There is nothing that God has for us. That we are doing without. Guys if Ephraim was armed in carrying bows. We're twice armed. We're beyond that. We're abounding with equipping. And armory. And ability. He has abounded to his children with this given us more than anything and everything we could possibly need. And the Bible goes on in verse 11, and it says this, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who, listen to this, works all things after the counsel of his own will. And what is that? What what is the end for you that we speaking of the church, should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. So let me ask you something. Is God going to be praised by your defeat? Is he going to be praised by your depression? Is God going to be praised by Satan winning the battle against your life? I say not. And if God has chosen you to be his child and he to be your father, And of God by the good pleasure of his will. That it delighted him to make us his children. And God who wants to demonstrate the riches of his grace to us. That he has abounded to us with wisdom and prudence. And we are to the praise of God. And God not circumstance or chance or pastors or churches trying to figure it all out, but God working everything together to his purposes and plans to his praise, then my life is going to end in his praise. It's not going to end in defeat. It's not going to end in depression. It's not going to end at the end with Satan dancing over me because he brought me down. I'm a son of God. God is my father. He abounds to me with grace. I have to know that. I have to know that. You have to know that. I've fought battles in my life. This isn't coming from somebody who's never fought anything. This isn't coming from somebody who hasn't been in the depths of a dark pit. And just wanted to die. I've I've experienced this with God. To be able to know God. And who this God is. And the richness. So God filters everything. That comes into the life of his child. As to how is this going to end. In my praise. Because it's going to. And it's going to be good for you. Because you're his child. And grace upon your life. Is what brings him praise. And that's what God is going to do with your life. So. Ephesians chapter 6. And then we're going to go to Psalm 27. In Ephesians chapter 6. He tells us in verse 10. He says finally. Well, I'll tell you what. Go back to Ephesians 1. I'm not through. Go back there. I wanted to read this to you very carefully. In Ephesians 1, verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is so deep. It means so much. But I, I will tell you this. In its context, it certainly means... That we might understand how we are to be to the praise of his glory. How we are to live in the riches of his grace. How we are to abound in his wisdom and in his prudence. And how we are able to utilize the inheritance we have obtained. You cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. When the Bible tells us to be spirit filled and live a spirit filled life. It's not simply so you could speak in tongues or cast out a devil. It's so you can know God. It's so you can know the promises of God and believe the promises of God and walk in the wisdom of God and believe when everything in your life is telling you not to believe and everything hurts and everything is painful and nothing is there but wounds. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and he opens your eyes and you see the glory of God and the purpose of it all. And it lifts you when you should be dead, you're living. When you should be mourning, you're dancing because the Holy Spirit revealed something to you. You couldn't have known any other way. And he says in verse 18, which I love. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So there is a glory of his inheritance that's in the saints. So where is this inheritance? It's in you. God has put a deposit in you. That's his inheritance. He wants it back more than what he put in you. And the only way this is ever going to happen is through this rich relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who is the only one in your life that can make sense of all of this and show you the divine. Now in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, which is revealed to us in Ephesians 1, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the same power extended to us. So be powerful in the Holy Spirit. In the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. As we're about to read through this, can I submit to you that what you're about to read is the new covenant? Sometimes we get so infatuated with the armor and the pieces of armor. Okay, how do I put this helmet on? Oh, where's my shield of faith? You know, where, where, are the, where do I put these uh, shoes of peace? Where, where do I go get them? Are they at the Christian bookstore? I mean, where, where are these things? So how do you grab them and put them on? It's the new covenant, guys. Put on the new covenant. Clothe yourself in this covenant of blood that God has made with us through his son, Jesus Christ, and walk in victory. Walk in the ability of... So I just want you to see the new covenant as we're about to read through this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our fight. Now listen to me very carefully. We've touched on this over the last few weeks, but you're going to fight. And you're going to wrestle. And it doesn't mean that God has failed you. And it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. And it doesn't mean you're not his daughter. And you're not his son. Or you're in sin. Or you've displeased. There's going to be days of battle. But he has equipped you to fight him for his glory. And for his praise. He wants you to take the enemy down. So don't faint when you're in these battles and remember, we wrestle. So when you see a brother or sister in the fight with the devil, jump in there with them. You're armed and you're carrying bows. Don't turn back in the day of battle. You see a brother or sister fighting a battle with hell, jump in there and fight with them. And so he says this, take unto you the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There will be an evil day. It's not talking about the tribulation day. Just talking about the evil day. You have it could be tomorrow. It could be today. I had an evil day today. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And here's the new covenant. Having your loins skirt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, because in the old covenant, there was only one man or a prophet that could go talk to God for him. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We need to be praying for the success of the gospel to be preached everywhere. We must be praying for them clothed in the armor of God and praying in the Holy Spirit. I I, I will tell you that if Jesus tarries, there's coming a day soon when the churches are just going to be filled with prayer meetings. We're going to have to to survive. We're going to have to be clothed with God and walk with God. I don't necessarily mean church houses, but I promise you the church, the people are going to be praying. They're going to be. And so I just read this to you because we're in this conflict and we're in this battle and we have to fight. And so the faith to overcome when you are overcome is to believe, number one, I'm equipped and I'm armed not to be defeated, but to win. I'm in a relationship with God where he's my father and I am his child. He has made an incredible investment in my life through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he possesses me and he is extending to me his grace where he abounds to me with wisdom and prudence. And that my life is going to end by praising God and not the devil. And I've got to believe that. And I have to walk in this great provision of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And I've got to walk in a real way with the Holy Spirit. It can't be just this mystical thing. It can't just be this mystical breath. I'm just taking the Holy Spirit. Now I'm filled with, I've got to know that I'm clothed in the Holy Spirit. I've got to know that I'm walking with the Holy Spirit. When He's troubled, I've got to be troubled. I've got to be so intimate with Him. And you're walking with Him and you're praying and you're clothed in this. God's inheritance is what He gets from your life in the evil day. God's inheritance is what he gets from your life in the day of battle. When you should turn back, but you don't. And nobody would blame you for turning back, but God. And it's when we run into that battle, that's when God gets his inheritance. That's when God begins to get the deposit that he has placed in our life that is going to humiliate and shame Satan for what he tried to do to a child of God. Or even daring to touch the body of Christ, Satan will pay for it. He has in every generation since the church has been here. But there is a day of battle, and there is a wrestling, and there is a conflict. So the question comes why? If God is God, why do I have to even pass this way? Why do I even have to be armed? If God's my father, why would I even have to fight? I thought God would fight all of my battles for me. I thought I was to be still and know that he was God. I thought the Lord would prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and he would fight. Why do I have to fight? Why do I have to wrestle? Why do I have to go through this? When God asks for our help, it is not because he can't do it without us. It is because God is trying to tap into the resources that he's put into our life. And at the end of the day and at the end of the battle, you're going to know that you really didn't fight. It was God after all. He just did it through you, but He did it. And you're going to know that at the end of the battles that you fight. So the question I would kind of summarize is this Is God good? Is He really good? Because that's in question today. Is God good? Is He a good father? We sing the song, He's a Good Father, but is He really? There's a lot of Christians that would really question that. We, we, we probably wouldn't do it with the breath of our words, but we do it with our attitude. We do it with our demeanor. We do it with our depression. We do it with our despair. We do it with our lack of praise. We do it with our lack of enthusiasm. We do it every time we don't enter into a conflict. When we watch a brother or a sister suffering and we don't fight for them, we do it then. God's not good. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? God, it's not fair. Don't you know I'm hurting? Don't you know this is wounding me? God, don't you know that people are watching and their faith is weakened because they don't understand why you're not helping me? God, don't you see? Because if we're in, in all of those expressions of thoughts and attitudes of our heart, we're actually just trying to communicate with God in this fact, if I were God, I'd do it differently. I know how to be good, and if I were God, I'd be good, and my children would never have to fight. But God does know what he's doing, and we have to ask the question, is God good? And the reason Ephraim fell is because they forgot God. They forgot him. They forgot his miracles. And in our time of suffering, and I'm guilty of it, that when I come to those places in my life and I'm wondering, God, where are you and why is this happening to me? I have forgotten the 58 years of miracles I've lived through. And in this momentary moment, I'm, 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 I'm living in this attitude of unbelief that God's brought me through all those other things, but he's not bringing me through this. This is going to take me down. This is going to get me. And how dare I'm, I'm armed to fight this. I'm equipped to fight this. How dare I cave in at this moment to that. And and, and for me personally. And, and we're going to go to Psalm 27. Which is in this season of my life. My most favorite chapter in the Bible. Because it's been a lifeline for me. But Psalm 27 begs the answer to the question. Or the question is God good. So. Psalm 27 closes in verse 13 with, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love David. I love him. And I thank God he's so honest. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, can I tell you how I've always believed that, and I still do, because I'm just possessed with this faith that makes me believe it—that I will see the goodness of God before I die. But I also believe it means that I will believe to—I will not faint unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That in life or death, I will live forever and I'll see his goodness. One way or the other, I'm going to see his goodness. In this life or in the life to come. But here's the point. Do you believe, do you believe you will see the goodness of God? Is he really good? And I want you to just skim over some of this in Psalm 27, and I'm just going to pick these verses out, and you just quickly look with me. What is David up against in verse 2, the wicked, my enemies, my foes? What do they want to do? They want to eat me up. They want to eat me alive. This is not an easy life. David is not talking about a cushioned life because he's king of Israel and everything is wonderful. He's talking about, no, I've got wicked people. I've got enemies. I've got foes. They want to eat up my flesh. Not only that, there is a host. That just simply means there's more people than I can count that have encamped against me. They, they've set themselves against me more, more than I can count. But my heart's not going to fear. And when war should rise up against me. I will be confident. In verse 5, he talks about a time of trouble. In verse 10, he talks about my father and my mother forsaking me. In verse 11, he talks about my enemies. In verse 12, he's praying for deliverance. That God would not hand him over to the will of his enemies. In verse 12, he's also saying a new group of people who are false witnesses are rising up against him. And they breathe out cruelty. So when David says in verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It wasn't because of some building project he hoped to finish before he died. But David is telling us, I've got wicked people, and I've got enemies, and I've got foes, and I've got a father and a mother who forsake me, and I've got people who spread cruelties about me and gossip about me and slander me. I've got more people than I can count that are surrounding my life and rising up against me. God, I need deliverance because I've got no way out of this, but I believe I will see your goodness in the land of the living. I believe I'll see it, and David lives by that was faith in his life. So I'll say that to those of you that may be in a season of suffering. Do You believe that God is good. Not that the present moment's good. Not that the enemies are good. Not that the foes are good. Not that the people who are saying lies about you or even slanderous truths about you are good. But do you believe God is good? And do you believe you will see his goodness in your life? The Hebrew word for goodness... And this passage means the Lord of all that is right, all that is beautiful, all that is glad, and all that makes for the true prosperity of human life. David is saying that I believe I will see in the land of the living all that is right, all that is beautiful, all that is good, and all that is truly prosperous to human life, to my life. I believe I'll say that's why David could praise the way he did. The Bible also says he is the Lord of goodness, for he is the fountainhead from which all these things proceed and the means by which these things become real in the experience of the human race. So there's nothing that you're going through that God's trying to figure out. He already knows how he's going to work it out for his praise and for his glory. What you don't know, God does know. And your sighing is going to be turned into a song. And your fear is going to be overwhelmed by your faith. And your sorrow is going to be overtaken by your joy in the Lord. But you've got to believe that God is good. You have to believe this. All of these trials that David went through. Here is, if I can, the great reality of Psalm 27. If, if you were to say to me, what is David's confidence? Because he says that in verse 4, and this will I be confident. What is his confidence? And we know that there are so many truths in this psalm. But the one great confidence in David is this. God and I are intimate. I have no one in my life like God. God and I are inseparable. Because even when a host comes against me or war may even rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired. One thing have I sought after, and that is I might dwell in your presence, in your temple, and look upon your glory. Far in the time of trouble, you will hide me in your pavilion in the secret place of your tabernacle, you will hide me. And there I will be set upon a rock and lifted above my enemies. And I will sing praises unto you. And when war is breaking out among me, you're going to say, seek my face. And my heart's going to say to you, your face, oh God, will I seek. And that was David's confidence. God is Intimate with me. And beloved. God. Longs to be intimate. With you. He longs for it. For far more than you and I could ever imagine. He longs for it. And so God did something so marvelous. Ephesians 1. Gives us the information of it. But what God did. Is. He opened. The presence of God to us by the blood of Jesus and now any and every one of us can come into the secret place and be intimate with God and you will be able to say as the apostle Paul if God is for me who can be against me and I have learned in all things to be content whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full. Whether I'm persecuted or whether I'm blessed. I have learned that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Paul didn't read that from Peter. It was experience in his life. And it can be your experience. And it can be your confidence. That when you are overwhelmed. Because I promise you. That Satan is going to send something to your life to overwhelm you. And God's going to let him. But God is not allowing it to come to beat you. God has equipped you and armed you and is giving you an unlimited supply of grace, wisdom and prudence to secure your victory. So that you're going to come out from it with more glory and more testimony and more praise. And your children are going to see the glory of God. And that's what he was saying in Psalm 78. That something was to continue from generation to generation. But somewhere along the line a generation of people forgot me. And they forgot my miracles. And they were not demonstrating my praise or demonstrating my power. And their children didn't know me. And so I say this to us demonstrate him by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the rebellion, and I'm going to close with this really quick the rebellion, the fainting here in Psalm 27. I had fainted. It's a type of rebellion because the fainting is not like, oh, I quit. I just can't, I could no, 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 that's not this fainting. And that's not the fainting you're going to experience if you let the devil win. The feigning that you will experience if you let the devil win is anger and rage and bitterness and hostility and isolation. And what is your anger or your rebellion against? Well, you think it's against the tragedy. You think it's against the injustice being done to you. You think it's against the pain, the disappointment, the mystery, the death, the whole dark outlook of it all. But actually, listen to me, the rebellion is against your own victory. So don't faint in the day of battle or you will bring your own defeat. But have faith in it and you will see the glory of God and you will see the goodness of God. And you will turn all of this into a great spiritual victory. And I just kind of wrote this down where you'll be able to say, well, having been through it all, I have now been given to see that God is always good. I was tempted to think that there were times when he was not but I see now that I was wrong. God is always good. In all circumstances, in all ways and at all times. Carla and I buried our first baby. We stood at the grave and said, God is good to our family and our friends. And we meant it. No matter what may happen to me or to anybody else, I have arrived. At the conclusion that God, listen to me, is always good to me. And I pray you can say that. He's always good to me. And I believe to see it. And if you have that faith, you will not live overcome. You'll fight it. You'll face it. The waves will come over, but you'll come out. Faith will bring you out. So you want heaven to just kind of swoop down, don't you? God, I'm hurting. Oh, here I am. Tell me where. I'm going to take it away. I don't ever want you to suffer. I'm just going to swoop down, take care of everything for you. Save the day. But God wants you to believe. God wants the weapons that he has put in your life to go to war. For other people in the body of Christ. You know what those weapons are? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when you are armed. For the day of battle. Because you're not the only one fighting something in this room. And when you are armed for the day of battle. And you just keep your arrows in your quiver. And you keep your bow on your shoulder. And you don't come to fight. Then we are limiting. The Holy One of Israel. But what He wants to do. Is for us to fire our weapons. Against the enemy. And deliver one another. And at the end of the day. We're all going to know. God was fighting through me. God did that through me. And it's true. This is the Lord's battle. But you are the means. By which He's going to fight it. And you're going to have to fight it. He will be mighty in you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Oh, for your glory. I thank you for the secret place. I want to say to you tonight, don't be ashamed. For every one of us have felt the waves of adversity and affliction and confusion sweep over our heads. So many times. We're all in the same place. But if you're in a place like that. You need the Holy Ghost. To be able to say. God is good to me. You need him. And he's here for you. Some of you need to rise up and fight. You need to start using your gifts. Somebody in the body of Christ. Is fighting a battle. They need you to help them with. And you say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, you can begin by praise. You can begin to act through faith. You can pray. The Holy Spirit will begin to show you more. You'll begin to discern things and you'll begin to check it. Will this glorify God? Will this help the body of Christ and edify and comfort the body? Does it require faith from me to be able to even do it? if those things are yes then go help somebody go pray for somebody well what if I walk out of my seat and walk across the room and pray for somebody what will people think about me they'll think you're a soldier of Christ maybe today the devil will be beating somebody's life their battle will be over and they can help you fight or somebody else fight church be the church But I I pray that you tonight can say that God is good to me. God is good to me. And if you can say that God is good to me, then remember what he's done and what he will do. And go into war. Because you've already won. You're more than a conqueror. God has given you the victory through his son, Jesus Christ. Like Paul said to the Ephesians, stand in the victory. Stand in it because it's yours. Let's help one another tonight. Come on, let's just pray for one another. People in the altars, pray and just come pray for them. You don't have to even touch them. You can just come stand around them and pray. Let's worship God for He is good. His mercy endures forever. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God. Come on, just begin to tell him that. You are good, Lord. Come on, speak to him right now. Just tell him he's good. Confess him. Confess him openly. Don't be ashamed to praise God. Don't be ashamed to let somebody see you praising him. God is so worthy. And I love you, Lord. And I thank you. And I extol you, God. And I lift you high. And I lift up the name of Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you are good. And I thank you in a day when everything seems to be questioning you, questioning your love, questioning your goodness. I I say, God, that you are good. You've always been good. You will always be good. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I magnify you, Lord. And I thank you that you're good to me, Lord. Even when I don't understand, you're good to me. And you've equipped me, God. And I'm carrying armory into the battle. I don't want to retreat. I don't want to leave you defenseless, God. I want to be the means by which the Holy Spirit is not limited. But he's able to do what he wants to do through my life. Hear us tonight, God. Hear us tonight as we lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, just say his name. Just say Jesus. Just lift him up. Just you even speak in that. helps other people. You don't have to understand how. But God responds to the praise. Response to the love the love for one another love one another care for one another help one another comfort one another we're brothers and sisters in Christ if one suffers we all suffer if one rejoices we all rejoice come on be a body be a body